Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. This is Barry Botino, Associate Editor at Safety and Health, and with me, as always, this month to celebrate Valentine's Day and the leap year are my fellow Associate Editors, Kevin Drewley and Alan Ferguson. Hello, guys. Hello. Hey, Barry. Your conversation hearts are in the mail. Well, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate and, and, that. And enjoy <laughs> that extra day in February, too. <laughs> well, we thank you all for joining us for this 48th episode in our podcast's history. Many of you have had a unique journey into the safety profession, and we want to hear about it for the My Story feature in our magazine. Submit your personal stories about how you got into the safety field by emailing us at safehealth at nsc.org. You can view past My Story entries and catch up on all the news from around the safety world by visiting our website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com. In this month's podcast, we'll recap some key stories and departments from the pages of our February edition of Safety and Health in our new In This Issue segment. We'll also be joined by our NSC colleague, Maria Cordova, to discuss first aid in the workplace in our Five Questions With interview. And we'll catch you up on all the news around the safety world in our In Case You Missed It segment. Is everybody ready? Away we go. As Barry just mentioned, we have a new segment on this month's show in this issue, where I'll give you some highlights of the February issue of Safety and Health. We start with our always popular annual feature, CEOs Who Get It. This year's edition features seven CEOs from industries that include injury prevention and physical therapy, construction, packaging, and the U.S. military. Want to know if your CEO is one of this year's honorees? Check out safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Our other feature in the February issue is OSHA's Most Interesting Cases. And until last year, we used to cover this presentation as part of our show daily at the NSC Safety Congress and Expo. However, we wanted to give a more in-depth look at the cases presented, and we've brought back this feature for a second straight year. Also in this issue, we have product-focused sections on hearing protection and protective clothing, along with news in Richard Hawk's monthly column, All About You. Once again, check it out at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Every safety professional has a unique story. So what's yours? Safety and Health Magazine wants to hear about your path into the occupational health and safety field for our My Story column. You can share your safety origin story by sending us a submission to safehealth at nsc.org. First aid training is one of the most significant efforts of the National Safety Council and important for every workplace. With us to talk about first aid is Maria Cordova, Program Technical Advisor on that subject at NSC. Maria, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you for having me here. So our first question, where do organizations fall short or have difficulties when it comes to first aid? I would say that I have two scenarios here. One would be the scenario from the U.S. The organizations do align very well with regulations and compliance. And the other scenario is the international scenario. So it's very interesting because there are different things that I can compare. 
uh, here in the States, we as National Safety Council, we do have very important and interesting statistics with the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And you can see that there are some numbers, very interesting numbers, and they state that nearly 2.8 million reports of injuries and illnesses are happening in the work site. Can you understand that? It's really, really huge number. And each workplace injury can cost around $41,000 on average. Unbelievable, right? These statistics are super important to have first aid practices in the work site. But there are organizations, they do have a big challenge. First of all, they do need to understand what the regulations are, what they need to comply. If there are regulations for certain industries, what type of regulations, who regulates? Are there any standards? Are there any laws? The training that their employees need to have, regular trainings, are they really prepared to an emergency if there's an accident? How well prepared are they? Another challenge is how often they need to train them. How much does it cost? What materials they need to use? Do they need to bring instructors on site? How well are the workforce culturally? Are they really willing to adapt to that instructor or not? Is the language of the training adequate to that workforce? So it's, there's many, many challenges. Also, many organizations don't really have a plan, an emergency plan. It is a huge challenge, knowledge, compliance with regulation. Is it accessible? The availability of equipment. Do they really have first aid kits? Do they have all the materials? Are those really being adequately maintained? Are they really well stocked? Our workforce, do they know where the first aid kit is? Are they constantly trained and updated with their trainings? It is really a challenge for organizations to even to promote safety and to keep their workforce safe and, and healthy. With February being heart month, how often should employees undergo CPR and AED training? This is a very important question. As National Safety Council and also our competitors, we do recommend this to be every two years for our instructors and for uh, all learners to be certified and recertified every two years. And this is because of the really high number of heart attacks occurring every year. Can you believe that every 40 seconds a heart attack is occurring? So that is from CDC. This is a really important number. Approximately 805,000 Americans have a heart attack each year. From this number, 605,000 are first heart attacks. Then 200,000 heart attacks from people that have already had a heart attack. This month, we should all wear a really committed t-shirt on being adequately instructed in CPR and handle an emergency like a heart attack. We do recommend it's every two years. It's an international and universal recommendation. And not only CPR, as National Safety Council First Aid, we are very committed on training our workforce, training 
worksites, workplaces, and hands-only CPR. Because not everybody is really committed or they do want to do ventilations when they have a situation. Even applying and adequately doing compressions, you can save a life. Ideally, what are some other major areas that first aid training should cover? We teach our participants and seeing a safe assessment, how to evaluate a victim. If that victim is responsive, how the victim is breathing, how is the circulation, how to keep yourself safe and how to keep the victim safe. We teach bleeding control, how to treat a wound, prevent infection, promote proper healing. We do train burn management, the different types of burns in different scenarios and in different industries. We do a training immobilization, fractures and sprains, what to do if you have a person that falls. We talk about medical emergency care, what to do in a heart attack, what to do if you have a victim that is showing signs or symptoms of a stroke, what to do if you have a person that is having an episode of an asthma or severe allergic reactions. What if a person is showing signs of a seizure? We train our participants on what to do in environmental situations like a heat stroke and hypothermia, frostbite, heat exhaustion. And our courses are very focused also. Remember that we do workplace first aid. That is a difference what we do in National Safety Council. They're very focused in real case scenarios from the industry. Our courses are not the same for construction. They're not the same for manufacturing. They're not the same for mining. So we do focus in each certain industry. And uh, of course, in complying with some regulations that each industry has. We talk also about legal and ethical aspects, the Good Samaritan laws, what confidentiality is so important. One thing that is really important is that our courses be as close to the culture of the participants of that classroom as we can. Many of our courses are in English and Spanish. What are some important things that should be in every workplace's first aid kit? And can that differ depending on a specific worksite or workplace? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can differ. Each of our first aid courses, a first aid basics, a first aid, a CPR and AED, BLS, which is the basic life support, and the advanced first aid for healthcare and professional rescuers. We do have the content that is now required. What to do in the case of an opioid overdose? How to administer naloxone? And how to do hands-only CPR in the case of naloxone? How to call 911? How to administer the intranasal? What to do with a victim if that victim is not really responding, if that victim is not breathing? That is something that are updated with naloxone use. Now that you're asking me about the first aid content, we're pushing very hard on the first aid kits now to also have naloxone in the first aid kits. Mainly bandages, now with tourniquets, we're showing our participants also on how to use tourniquets, even the commercial tourniquets or the common tourniquet, sterile dressings, antiseptics like saline solution, adhesive tapes, Breathing mask, because you don't know if you are going to see a, one of your coworkers having a heart attack or an episode of an anaphylactic shock, and you do have to 
start CPR. So you do have the breathing masks also. Emergency blankets. There's a universal code on not to use medications, not to have medications. But the only one that is already being accepted is naloxone now. We do encourage for the safety team to develop their own first aid manual. What to do if you encounter a victim or a coworker? What to do if you have a person that is having a, a burning? First aid manual is really important for them. Also, an AED, of course, an AED close to the first aid kit, burn creams, burn ointments, or a dressing, burn dressings. And of course, immobilization equipment for sprains. There are certain industries like transportation, they do need to have first aid kits in every single vehicle or so log industries, they do have to have a first aid kit. They're in remote sites also for electrical or high altitude or and towers, electrical industries, they do need first aid kits per team in relation to the possible injuries that they may be exposed to. We were wondering, for those who are interested, what are some helpful resources out there on first aid? All of our courses are online. We do have our e-learning on our website. We have the on-site first aid courses, the CPR and AED courses, the other ones that I just mentioned, the BLS and the advanced courses. We can do also, it's a blended course. One part can be online and the other part, the hands-only training, the skills are being tested by our instructors. There's a several ways for our participants to get trained as first aid instructors or the more advanced courses, get certifications or recertifications as first aid instructors. Well, thank you so much, Maria. We appreciate your insights and we appreciate you joining us on the safe side. Thank you so much. There are many news sources and ways to get your news in 2024, no question about it. And within that, there also are plenty of news stories and analyses to digest each day, whether you're doing that in real time or at your leisure. While we're so very grateful to our listeners and readers for making safety and health a go-to source for this information, we also know that things sometimes can slip through the cracks. That's why we're here now with In Case You Missed It a segment intended to shed light on safety news and developments that may have escaped your notice. To get things started, wanted to talk about something. It's, it's an agency that we cover and a rule that we cover and a rule that also was explored more in depth within the past few months with Alan discussing a story. But that is that the MSHA Mine Safety and Health Administration final rule uh, intended to reduce miners' exposure to respiral crystalline silica. That's been sent to the White House Office of Management and Budget for review. It's been a few days as we record this since that development took place. But again, as you may know from following the magazine or just following these things at large, this is one of the final steps in the regulatory process to advance a rule to OMB. Again, as this rule may not have escaped your notice, this development may have, but in review, the rule would lower the permissible exposure limit for a respiral crystalline silica to 50 micrograms per cubic meter of air. That's half the current limit over an eight-hour time-weighted average. And further, it would increase silica sampling and enforcement at metal and non-metal mines. OSHA, of course, estimates that 2.3 million workers are exposed to silica dust each year, and it's prevalent certainly in mining, but workers can inhale silica dust during mining and other operations, such as cutting, sawing, drilling, or crushing materials like rock and stone. Crystalline silica has been traced to 
many adverse health effects, including damaging lung tissue and leading to black lung disease, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or silicosis, which NIOSH calls an irreversible but preventable lung disease. As you also probably know or have followed, these developments don't necessarily mean that within the next week, two weeks, or month that a final rule will be put into effect, but it certainly is a major development. It's been all over 25 years. I know there was a stakeholder call that MSHA puts on each one each quarter, and there was one early in the last year saying that this first was kind of in the agency's crosshairs in 1998, and we're certainly a long way off from that. So appreciate you listening now and, and keep following Safety and Health for more coverage. Alan, uh, how about you? Yeah, so we got news. The Biden administration has renominated Julie Sue for Labor Secretary. Sue is the current acting secretary. And so it's been almost a year since he first nominated her for the full-time job after Marty Walsh left to lead the NHL Players Union. Her nomination has pretty much stalled since then. It doesn't look like she really has a path to confirmation because Joe Manchin from West Virginia has, in July, said he was going to oppose her nomination, and that leaves her with almost zero margin for any kind of confirmation. However, she's able to serve as acting secretary until a successor is appointed because of a loophole in the Federal Vacancies Reform Act of 1998. And House Republicans have tried to put forth a bill that would kind of close that loophole. But for now, I mean, again, she can serve as acting secretary for the time being, especially while her nomination is pending. Barry, what about you? Well, Alan, I I wanted to share a story from Safety and Health Magazine in our February issue. And this is an interesting one about a virtual training game. And this is a agency in Belgium that came up with a virtual training game to spot carcinogens in the workplace. And this virtual game uses the STOP principle, which is substitution, technical measures, organizational measures, and personal protective equipment. And it's a very unique game. It's available in English, Dutch, and French. And folks can find that at roadmaponcarcinogens.eu slash interactive hyphen game. Again, that's roadmaponcarcinogens.eu slash interactive hyphen game. Well, thank you both for sharing. Those both are certainly things to to keep an eye on and, and quite interesting, as you say. Now, though, it's our listeners' turn. Is there something important that you've learned recently and want others in the safety world to know? Please email your thoughts and feedback to us at safehealth at nsc.org. We're eager to hear from you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this month's episode. We know that your time is very valuable, and we appreciate you spending some of it with us. We encourage you to visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash podcasts to check out each of our past episodes. We'd also appreciate you rating, reviewing, or just spreading the word about this podcast. To find stories, news, and insights from around the safety world, you also can check out our website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com, and make sure you follow us on your favorite social media channel. Original music for this podcast was composed by Steve Maslin. Thank you so much, Steve. And a big thank you to all of our NSC colleagues behind the scenes who make this podcast go. We'll be back next month to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile a little. In the meantime, please stay on the safe side.